welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive Show. We got Ian Gray joining us today. Ian, you uh, you just finished up with school, and we're kind of in a we're in a transitional period. If we're going to use corporate speak, right? Before you had your summer internship, so how you know how have things been uh, investing wise? It's been volatile. It seems like stocks are either up five percent or down five percent. You're kind of playing in the growth category every day now. Yep, it's definitely been very volatile. Um, have a tax bill come and do this week too. So that's always fun and trying to figure out exactly how to, how to fund that. But, um, you know, it's fun times in the market as always. Yeah. It is definitely not a boring time right now. There's going to be a lot. I feel like there's going to be a lot of first timers that are like, Oh, I got to pay taxes on those. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on like the Dogecoin gains. That <laughs> um, but today, uh, we're not talking about Dogecoin, thankfully. We're talking about Embracer Group. It's a unique and actually large video game company based in Sweden. It's a roll-up. Um, Ryan will get into it, but before we do, we should talk about Seven Investing. There are partners, and if you use our code CCM at checkout, you can get $10 off your first month. So you can try it out for $7. They do, they love the number seven. So they do seven picks each month with a long-term mindset. We just had one of their lead advisors, Anurban Mahanti, on our Tuesday show. So if you want to listen in and get some free insight on how he looks into businesses, I was checking in on some of the recommendations with some of the high growth stocks down at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them bargains. You can evaluate that for yourself. But there was a lot of interesting research if you go back through their other months, some opportunities maybe at hand. So, I mean, this is a good as time as any to try it out. I love their picks last month. Ryan, you have anything else? No, I just, you know, add, they're not like, uh, we use it for idea inspiration. Like yes. we, we genuinely, yes. uh, we, it's easy to pitch because we look forward to reading the, uh, picks that they have. Yeah. Some and, you might like, some you might not yeah. kind of to each his own, but with seven picks each month, it's highly likely you'll find one idea. That's interesting. Yep. And use code CCM. Uh, but without further ado, we're talking Embracer Group, a company that I was actually pretty excited that you picked because kind of a fascinating business model. So they're an international video game conglomerate. So they're headquartered in Sweden, but they essentially go out and buy a bunch of independent franchises or publishing companies, and then they just roll them up and consolidate them into one. Uh, it's a bit like I put this, it's a bit like a Tyrion in terms of the business model, except instead of like Amazon toys or items, they're buying game companies. Yeah. Um, but uh, Embracer is the parent company. And then they have, I think it's 100% ownership of most of the basically decentralized subsidiaries. Uh, and those different, there's publishers, there's developers, and then there's IP owners. There's, so there's three different distinct categories and they have nuances to each of them. But some of the companies will be like, publishers, IP owners, and the developers. Yeah, so they it's a little confusing, yeah. Um, but they really publish the games for consoles, PCs, and mobile. And then there's some that are on the Nintendo Switch, but not as much. Um, and Embracer is now home to 240 owned franchises. Uh, you might not recognize some of them. There's a lot that I'm not familiar with. They're kind of, there's a lot of Nordic games. So games for like 
Uh, I think most of their market comes from Europe, but there's World War Z, Saints Row, Borderlands. Borderlands is probably yeah, Borderlands is probably the biggest one that they just acquired. Um, it's not like the AAA games like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead, or like Call of Duty. It's kind of a step below, a little bit more niche, right? Yeah, and they have so that they've broken it down into eight operative companies, which is what they call it. I kind of like the word operative, so that's kind of cool. But uh, <laughs> they uh, each one has their own CEO, so some of the uh operative companies are for mobile specifically like there's one that's really like casual mobile games and then some are more deep experiences that are designed for console but within that there are 63 internal game development studios and they have more than 7,000 employees for reference activision which is the largest largest video game publishing company worldwide uh tencent in america but whatever pure publishing company i thought uh I'd... well tencent studio is bigger but yeah i guess they're more than that but Again, mm-hmm. one of them, the Activision's one. Anyway, they have 9,500 employees. So it's, uh, as far as the amount of developers, it's pretty similar. Uh, they have 61% of their games. Game sales come from Europe, 26% come from the US and then 10% from the rest of the world. Um, I guess the main point would be they're an acquisition company. They're very acquisitive. They raise equity. They go out and they buy these little companies and then they roll them up uh, into what is their sort of parent company. Yeah, it's kind of an IP strategy almost. They're trying to acquire as much video game and entertainment IP as possible. Yeah, and then I'll get into the history. Fascinating history, honestly. Lars Wingefors, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, He grew up in rural Sweden with a single mom, and when he was 13, he actually started a used comics business, which I know sounds a little ridiculous, but by the age of 15, he had the largest mail order comics business in Sweden, which he then turned into a used games business. And he actually dropped out of high school because this company, this used games company was doing like 14 million in US sales. I think I might've got that, the, the, the translations, the currency transfers might might not be equal. Yeah. They were a burden for this company. Ian, you had something? I was just going to say, but either way, isn't that the dream? Start yeah, a fourteen million dollar business in high school, drop out. Hey, not, not a bad life. You guys are uh, laughing when I compared him to Buffett, but Buffett started his farm. He bought the farm at age fifteen. You know, is yeah. this the farm for all our guy Lars here? Uh, maybe. Well, maybe we'll see. Anyway, we'll see. We'll when see. he was twenty-two, he sold the company for I think the equivalent of roughly ten million U.S. dollars. But he bought, but he took shares of the company that bought him. Um, which imploded during the dot-com bubble. So he sold it and then it basically uh, was void of any money. And then eventually it sounds like he bought it back and restarted with a different model. And they made their sort of, they made sort of made their mark and became the publishing company that they are today with some karaoke games for the Wii in 2007. And then in 2011, they began starting to buy up these other studios, mostly Nordic, uh, other Nordic studios. Uh, and then they went public in 2016. They changed their name in 2019. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. I'll get to the industry landscape and competition. Uh, I mean, they operate in the video game market, which is worldwide estimated to be about $160 billion in 2020. Estimates are for the industry to grow at either like a double digit rate or a high single digit rate for, you know, indefinitely almost. And, you know, a lot of the times I bring out these numbers and sometimes I'm like, well, uh, you know, maybe are these analysts just being too optimistic? But I think in this case, Unless something materially changes worldwide, uh, I think this is something you can be highly confident in. People are going to be playing video games and the market is going to grow uh, over time, especially when you look at the younger demographics, how much they play. Uh, tons of competitors in a large industry, as you might expect, you know, Tencent, Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Microsoft, Sony, Niantic, you can name a ton. 
Um, maybe their biggest uh, competition for acquisitions would be more Tencent, Activision, Electronic Arts, Microsoft, uh, Epic Games. They like to acquire studios a ton. There's a lot. Well, I think some of their more, uh, the ones they're kind of competing with, because these are a lot of smaller indie developers. There are a lot of Swedish companies that are basically consolidation plays just like this. Um, and they're, uh, I think there's like four, there's one of like E7 games. So it's they're not the only one sort of uh, yeah. I guess there's model. yeah. There's definitely a, other consolidation. I mean, there's tons. There's so many studios worldwide that uh, it's possible to name them all. Uh, but yeah, I think nothing else here. I mean, I guess another thing you can watch: Nintendo, Roblox. There's a ton of companies to keep track of, but it's such a large market. Um, it's really on Embracer Group executing with its acquisition strategy. But next, we want to hit management and ownership with Ian. Yep. So as Ryan mentioned, the CEO is Lars Vigenforsch. Um, I believe that's how you say it. I tried to watch, uh, tried to get the pronunciation down, watched a little video, but who knows? But anyways, he's the co-founder and CEO. Um, one of the things that, and we're going to continue to talk about it today, but is the structure of this company where it gives autonomy to these eight operative groups, as Ryan mentioned. Um, it just seems like a good way to approach this and really kind of give creators the ability to create and provide them with resources. Um, we've, we've called it a roll-up a couple of times today, but Lars actually doesn't like to think about it as a roll-up at all. He says um, he really wants to build a group of great leading entrepreneurs and creators, sees Embracer as identifying great brands and leaders and providing the capital and the ecosystem to make them successful. So it's not just about acquiring the assets or something like we see with Ethereum. Um, it's really about trying to acquire, at least as I see it, acquiring the human capital with some of these brands and some of the IP that they've already created and giving them, kind of jumpstarting them to create even more amazing IP. If they've created great IP in the past, they think if they plug them into their system, they can continue to create great games and content. Um, he says he's super long-term, that's a direct quote, um, loves what he's doing and says he has already made his money. So he just loves this space. Uh, he owns about 25% of the company as well, which is a very healthy stake in this. And we'll get to valuation just after this, but um, owns a very healthy stake, about 50% of the voting shares. Um, so he does have control of the company as well. So that's something to keep in mind, as we mentioned sometimes about these, comp these types of companies that um, you want to make sure that you really trust the CEO when they do have um, voting control. Um, one other thing is he writes a letter accompanying the report, which is something that I enjoy seeing. I always like seeing how, how a CEO writes about the company and what they think about it. And they go a little more in depth into their comments. And then finally, they are transitioning to standard IFRS reporting. They aren't currently on IFRS, which is the international accounting standards. Um, they say that it'll take about 18 to 36 months to, for them to transition and then to be listed on a regulated market on more of a mainstream market um, that we're more familiar with. And so that's one big initiative they're taking on right now. And we'll clean up uh, the accounting a little bit and provide a little more clarity for investors. And so this is a great example of, um, it's great to hear management hearing great things. That's always great. We like to hear them talking in the ways that we want them to talk, but we also can't yeah. see that as a guarantee of future success. Right. right. It doesn't yeah, just yeah. because we love management doesn't necessarily mean the company's going to be a great success, but it's definitely a point in their favor. Yep. And then valuation also matters as well, which segues to my next segment. I'll talk valuation quick. Uh, market cap from when I last looked was about $14.2 billion. Um, and I'm using the Koifin share count of about 500 million shares outstanding. And then 
the Swedish price uh, for the stock. It's kind of trading on the OTC markets out in Sweden. I believe that's what it is. It's like the NASDAQ First lower market. tier something. I think it's like the OTC markets. Uh, but the Swedish price was about 236.60. And I'm using the exchange rate of 0.12 Swedish Krona to USD. Very complicated one uh, to you know calculate this stuff. So I could be off a bit and the exchange rate matters, and then their share count is changing rapidly because when they make acquisitions, they're diluting uh, uh, the shares. Uh, but yeah, just something to watch out for. Uh, ticker is E-M-B-R-A-C-B, seven letters. I think that's a record for us. Uh, interesting ticker that they chose that many. And then the price of sales is about 14.9, but uh, Ian will get into it. They got a lot of cash in the balance sheet now, so EB to sales are a little lower. And then that was calendar year 2020. Uh, so Again, things can change rapidly with a company that's making acquisitions like this. And then price to operating cash flow was about 37.7. And then free cash flow was actually negative if you include acquisitions. Um, and then their price to internal EBIT, which is a, it's not a IFRS measure or a gap measure that they're using, but it's like their own thing to kind of measure their operating profits. Their price to EBIT was about 52.6. So premium valuation, but they executed pretty strongly. Um, I'll head it over to Ryan to, to cover the earnings. Yeah, very confusing trailing earnings. Uh, yes. And some of it's organic. Some of it is through these acquisitions that we just, you know, we've been talking about. And so something that I found very interesting is in their 2018 to 2019 fiscal year was 15 months long. Not sure how that happened. Um, but it makes the year over year comps from 2018, 2019 to 2019, 2020 look worse than they are. Um even though it did still grow, which is kind of impressive. So I'm just going to use the trailing nine months numbers. Uh, so the last nine months, they've had $796 million in sales. That's US up 69% year over year. They had $338 million in last nine month EBITDA up 112% year over year. So that's about a 42% EBITDA margin. And they have an operational EBIT margin of around 30%. They had $100 million in free cash flow versus negative free cash flow from a year ago. That's their calculation. But then if you include yeah. the investments in intangibles, which is, I believe, basically their M&A, uh, it was roughly double their free cash flow. So they are spending a lot to acquire these companies because they've gotten the financing through raising equity. Um, as far as guidance goes, they pulled back on their fourth quarter guidance. It looks like there were some game delays, one big one especially. Um, so next year is kind of going to be the big year. And they said that they're expected to be the strongest year ever with more than 70 premium game developments set to launch. Um, it's worth reminding people that this is a very lumpy business because it's very hit driven. So it's a lot of it's like, uh, like they'll have huge sort of franchises release one big game after the development. It's not these free to play ones like Call of Duty's kind of decyclified and turned it into different seasons. And so it's more recurrent. It's not like that with uh, Embracer Group. Um, so for, most really, of the, for most of the games, it's not like guaranteed, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, I mean, mobile might be a little less cyclical, but there's uh, it's basically you take a long time to develop and you distribute and you hope that it's a hit. Uh, and then the uh, uh, last thing I just add here, the last year, uh, their digital sales made up 73% of overall sales versus 51% from the prior year. A lot of that is attributable to COVID, I imagine but uh, that's going to improve the operating margins for the business. Yep. And then we'll kick it over to Ian. But one thing I note is that some of it's going to be organic, inorganic growth because they're making so many acquisitions. So when you see these high revenue growth numbers, just know that if they continue acquiring companies, that nominal revenue growth number or earnings number or whatever will look high, but make sure you look at like revenue growth per share, 
or earnings per share, free cash flow per share. Uh, that's very important for this company. But Ian, you want to find finish things off in the first half with balance sheet. Yep, that was a great point. But turning to balance sheet, uh, on their most recent balance sheet, they had about $833 million in cash. That was using that 0.12 conversion rate that uh, Brett was talking about earlier. They also recently raised about $890 million in cash that wasn't reflected on that balance sheet. So we'll want to see when this next one comes out exactly where they land, but it should be somewhere um, over a billion dollars in cash USD, probably closer to 1.5 billion. Um, they've also got about $1.8 billion in goodwill, which isn't crazy given the acquisitions and especially with the cash they've raised now, it's not um, a crazy amount of goodwill on the balance sheet. I assume some of that might change with as they move to this IFRS. I think some of the things they're reporting is intangibles and goodwill. Um, might not necessarily continue to be reported as intangibles. So they feel a little, they're a little flexible with what they do. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they appreciate goodwill in a five year straight line method, which is pretty pointless for a video game because it's hard to assess. I mean, more than 50% of their balance sheet is intangible assets. So it's pretty hard to assess, I think, the value that you're getting. Yeah. It's really sort of discretionary. I honestly thought what they were doing, I mean, it's definitely not illegal uh but it seems like they're just kind of doing a really hard depreciation for tax purposes right now and ifrs will definitely change that because we say ifrs just think about it as like international gap almost yeah yep so there's there's that and then they've got about 240 million dollars in debt which again for the amount of cash they have the balance sheet does not seem to be a crazy amount of debt um, also relative to their market cap it's a fairly low percentage so not um not a crazy amount of debt. They should be fine. Net cash position. Um, we don't have a lot of insight onto what that debt is exactly. Um, so that's one, you know, small yellow flag. But again, it's a small enough number compared to their cash and to their market cap that it should not um, should not have a meaningful impact on the business. Yeah, I would love to see an audit at 20F. We'll probably get one in the next few years here uh, for Embrace Group. But yeah, that's going to do it for the first half. Let's take an ad break and then we'll get back and talk um, more analysis of Embrace Group. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we're going to do product experience. Uh, anyone playing any of their games? Uh, I've heard that Borderlands, people love them. They just acquired that. I guess that's fine. Uh, no, we don't have any really, I mean, that was really the only game that I had heard of. I guess they had like Bikini Bottom Dehydrated, which is like a SpongeBob yeah, like a kid's, story game. They, um, yeah, Sponge, they had some kids' SpongeBob games, yeah. Uh, the other one... The, the 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 most recent acquisition, which you're going to talk about, Gearbox, had a few. I think they had three franchises that are somewhat notable here in America. But like we talked about earlier, a lot of these are Nordic games. They have sort of a big following in Europe. But yeah, sixty-one percent European sales, right? Yeah, it uh, that that that'll probably go down with this Gearbox acquisition. But I guess there were some casual mobile games, like there's Sudoku apps. Like they own a game, they own one of their operative companies is just basically a bunch of casual mobile games. So you re might recognize some of those, but no, I have not played any of these, but I'm not really a big gamer. Ian, any? 
Yeah, I'm not really a big gamer either. I've like you said, I I uh, recognize Borderlands, but besides for that, um, not a whole lot of experience with these. Okay, let's hit competitive advantages then. Uh, Ian, what do you have this week? For the competitive advantage this week, I've got a competitive advantage against the um, other kind of independent studios. So compared to these independent studios that they're acquiring, um, joining Embracer Group creates cost synergies um, between marketing, distribution, back office work, finance, accounting, and even developing games and having a wide variety of talent within the company, I think can provide cost savings that you don't have to like across their eight brands now, or their eight um, operative groups, it seems like they should have plenty of um, plenty of talent around to develop just about any type of game that they want to develop. And so, I think there's some cost savings there, and also just a competitive advantage of having so many such a wide range of games and expertises around that people can um, kind of leverage to create hopefully better and better IP. That seems to be the vision of the founder, and I think that I think it is a true competitive advantage. Yeah, that, that, I think that makes sense. Uh, Ryan, what do you have? Well, so, something that I, they weren't... So they mentioned the word synergy only four times on their 100-page annual report. And in the synergies that they talked about, it was really like they, the into the studios, the independent studio or the subsidiaries get growth capital, they get distribution, marketing, and then they get sort of development support So and just general know-how. But I'm not sure how much of like the accounting is offloaded because they're still operating as independent companies. So I'm curious how much sort of intermingling there is between these two companies. It wasn't really talked about that much on the annual report, but the studios have more incentive to sell than I thought. So I think a lot of game developers develop games because they love to do it. They're not just in it for the money. And I think you see that, especially with some of these indie studios. Um, And so I have a quote here from, and basically they don't mind selling because they can kind of cash out and then they can get the resources to kind of grow and get more exposure to their games. So I guess that's a bit of an advantage. Um, But then I have a quote here from the Gearbox CEO. He says, Lars's vision of Embracer as an allied partner group committed to fueling and accelerating the ambitions of a series of decentralized, successful entrepreneurial member companies while magnifying the collective value and advantages of diversification across the entire group is the most brilliant strategy in design for short, medium, and long-term success in the in this industry that I have worked in during 30 years. That's good. Yeah. I mean, he seems to like them. A lot of buzzwords, but that's good. Uh, yeah. That's good. I mean, that's a really strong praise think, for Lars. Yeah. I think people don't mind uh, selling and sort of becoming a part of the bigger thing, especially when they can kind of leverage almost like this older brother to tap into where it's like, oh, you know, this is the best way to market it, best way to distribute it. And kind of like uh, maybe I guess some, uh, when there's a mobile partner where if you're an operative company and you want to translate to some mobile app and you can kind of get the know-how from that other company, I think that helps as well. Yeah. Ian, did you have anything or no on that? No. And I was, I was going to say, we, I think we're going to mention in highlights and lowlights, but the long-term incentives for payouts they have, I think they do six years. That is a strong, um, it's just aligning everyone's goals uh, with Embrace Group. But I'll hit mine. I mean, this one's simple, you know, within the gaming and entertainment industry, a lot of the time it comes down to the IP you acquire. Uh, the reason Disney, I mean, I don't know how much you can calculate what Marvel, Star Wars, and Pixar are worth to Disney, but it's a lot. Uh, and they acquired all, all that IP. Um, Embracer is kind of working to create a diversified library of gaming properties. It sounds simple, but it's a black and white competitive advantage. I mean, no one can, uh, you know, you they have it and no one else can use it unless they license it from them. Um, pretty simple. 
but yeah, let's hit future growth opportunities next and what you have for Embracer. I have the acquisition of EasyBrain. So this is another one of the acquisitions that they've made recently. They say they have um, sort of educational games, but they're really currently, they're like things like Sudoku um, or Sudoku, if I can say it right. <laughs> um, and I think I actually played, I think Sudoku.com maybe is one of their, um, one of the things that they own. And I think I played that um, a few times a couple of years back or something, but it's mostly like Sudoku and puzzles and things of that nature. But I think there's an opportunity if they truly get into more educational games, we've seen a big rise in things like Duolingo and Lumosity, which kind of are right on that balance between like gamifying education, even something like Kahoot. And I don't think they're getting into something like Kahoot, but I think that idea of finding educational opportunities and providing this gaming aspect of it could be something that's interesting. And I'd be curious if they're planning to do some of that with the easy brain acquisition. It doesn't seem like it's a huge leap in my mind. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Ryan, what do you have? Uh, I have invested in their existing studios. Um, and so I think the best I mean, the best game companies leverage their existing IP. I think we've seen that with Activision. I mean, Activision, they have $6 billion in cash. There's a reason that they don't just go out and constantly buy them. If they can translate existing IP to different systems um, and sort of revive those, that's the best thing for it because the consolidation, like the gaming consolidation market in Sweden is super competitive. So you got to, at some point, start to really leverage that existing IP. And they said they're investing, uh, or they invested $63 million in ongoing development just this quarter. Um, I like to see that. I want to see them keep that up. And then they've got this strong pipeline coming in. Um, I, I mean, it, it's kind of this catch-22 because it's like if they can add, if, capital, if the cost of capital is this low and they can add these, prominent brands that are willing to sell, why not do it? But at the same time, you want them kind of uh, making most of the money off their existing IP because it doesn't cost as much. I don't know. Uh, I guess there's kind of the balance between the two, but that's definitely, they, they mentioned that as a strategic pillar for themselves. Yeah. As long as they can acquire things at a reasonable price, I don't think anyone should be concerned. But yeah, uh, leveraging that existing stuff the key with them, I think their advantage that they try to tout is since if you're not an indie studio anymore, you don't have to worry about, oh, shoot, we got three years of burn left. We got to get this thing out. You can really have a long term strategy of, all right, we're going to do this with mobile and we got a free game. Maybe we're going to launch some esports thing or whatever. Uh, but they give them that long term time horizon to invest. Um, I guess, yeah, I'll hit mine then. I took the big one acquisition of Gearbox. Uh, it was announced post the latest earnings, so it's not included in the ones that Ryan mentioned, but it was founded in 1999, bringing on over 500 employees to Embracer Group, so pretty large acquisition. Um, it was a 363 million uh, enterprise value. Sorry, that's in US dollars, six, $363 million enterprise value with payout incentives that can, I think, go above a billion dollars over the next six years if they execute and generate like $1.5 billion in operating profit. Um, they're the ones that own Borderlands, Counter-Strike, according to the investor presentation, they've worked on Halo before and some other stuff here. Uh, Borderlands is the big one though, it's had over a billion dollars in net bookings um, and apparently Lionsgate is investing in a Borderlands movie as well. That's interesting. Uh, I guess that's just another way to make money. But seems like an acquisition, or like $363 million. And yeah, there, you know, there's incentives if they do well, but $363 million seems really reasonable, especially with their stock price. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? 
Yeah. Uh, it looked like a good one, and it might just be because it's the only name that I'm familiar with out of their <laughs> entire portfolio. But uh, it, it, yeah, Borderlands I've heard is is very popular at least here in America. Yeah. All right. Highlights and lowlights. Ian, uh, what do you have for embracing? I think this is going to be a common theme among among us, but I had uh, management and the structure of the company that was just was really impressed and just liked hearing management talk. Um, I'd also say one other one was the organic revenue growth. So despite the fact that they're making all these acquisitions in the last quarter, they still were able to put up 21% organic growth on top of the growth from acquisitions. So um, that seems like a pretty good number to me if they can continue to do that and do a 20% CAGR for, for a few years on top of all these acquisitions of organic revenue growth. Um, that would be, I think that's a big deal for this company. And I think it would be, uh, you know, it kind of proves that these acquisitions they're making are actually good acquisitions. As far as low lights go, um, pretty simple here, just the no, no audit and um, not on a public market. So I think once we, you know, they're, they're say the highlight is they're making the transition to IFRS and getting um, more standard accounting structure and things like that. So that'll be good. But right now it's just, there's just a couple of questions in my mind about some of what some of the numbers are and what it is exactly, but maybe that's just, um, Sometimes it, maybe it's, this is probably going to be controversial, but sometimes maybe it's better not to have all the accounting information at times because we'll get too lost in the weeds. And, um, you know, we're actually, we just see the story here and kind of get the general picture of the financials. So anyways, um, but that is a low light for me. Yeah. Something I want to know. I want to, there's a few things I want to know about that get fully audited under the, the actual standards, but uh, Ryan, what do you have? Yeah, that was something that didn't make sense to me. They said they are required to conduct an internal audit, which usually is a red flag to me. But then they had some Ernst & Young CPA come in and audit on the annual report. So I wasn't totally clear what was going on there. Um, it seems like they're just kind of doing their own metrics, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was no... They're not... <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're required to report any specific way. And that was pretty clear with the, the random... I mean, there's no gap in income. Yeah, or if IFRS, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but w when there's something like that, you kind of have to just gut check to see if management is being honest uh, and and see what you think of them. And I did like Lars. Uh, I thought uh, he cares a lot about the business. He owns thirty percent of the company or whatever it is, um, and they are looking to be list on a major index here. Although uh, I don't know. <laughs> The 15, 15 month fiscal year threw me off. I was like, it seems like you don't have your ducks in a row in the back end. But um, the, generally, I do like the business model. I I, uh, I think Sweden is sort of like, it feels like it's becoming kind of this tech hub. Uh, maybe it already is one. It, it, I, I'm seeing a lot of companies that I kind of like out of uh, Europe over there. Um, only low light would be, I'm kind of not, I had the same thing with Ethereum where I'm not a huge fan of just acquisition after acquisition because it's hard to track as a shareholder and know what kind of value you're getting and the dilution's a little hard to calculate. So, I mean, you can play a lot of games, make everything look good. Yeah. And I think especially in markets that we've had recently, like people are willing to overlook the equity dilution. Um, yeah. But it matters, right? Like your, your your portion of the company is obviously shrinking if they're just issuing more shares. So um, I guess it, it takes more time to see how those acquisitions play out and whether they're actually accretive or valuable. Yeah. And then I would mention on the 2018, that year where they kind of had 
the tough stuff that Ryan was mentioning, their revenue grew like a thousand percent that year. So I think we can cut them maybe a tiny bit of slack. If they grew probably a lot faster than they thought, and they may have been overwhelmed. seems like everything's good now, but I mean, if you're growing revenue at a thousand percent, yeah, I mean, maybe they acquired too much yeah. too fast or something like that, but, or it went too well. Like some, some game might've just done phenomenally. I couldn't really find out anything on that, but yeah. It um, might've been like a merger or something. I should have looked at that, but yeah, the, whatever it was, I think the studio really jumped up that year, but they've jumped up every year. So I don't know. They did, they probably just had a hit game you know, in one of their studios, but I'll hit my highlights. I love the payout incentive model they have over the six years based on financial targets. So basically how much cash that studio generates over six years, if they had different targets, uh, the CEO and the employees get payouts. Um, business model to me seems highly scalable, especially if you consider it more of like an entertainment conglomerate. Um, you know, this thing, I don't know, they said they're 1% penetrated within the video game industry. Yeah, there's already a lot of large companies that will be tough and it's competitive, but it's a growing market. Um, we'll see how many more acquisitions they can make. Um, and I do love Lars and the management structure, that decentralization stuff we talked about a lot. It is, you know, reading about how he dropped out of high school and then kind of just ended up around 30 years later being a billionaire running this thing. It seems like he kind of just fell into his lap. Obviously he did well, you know, he, he had to execute on a strategy, but he kind of just went, from reading it, it seems like he just went with the flow. I was like, you know what, let's just start acquiring stuff all right, I guess we're a $15 billion company generating a lot of cash. All right, guys. If you see the pictures of him in high school, it's kind of funny that the guy that started that company is, well, is where he, he is 13. today. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. That's almost the same. It's different like corporate structures, but it's it's all through that one thread. It could make for a really good story someday. Um, Rolex, though, same as you guys, no audit. Um, and they just raised almost a billion dollars in March. It makes me feel like that. Maybe they're trying to use their inflated stock price right now. It's at a premium valuation, but they raised a billion dollars in March. I don't know. Maybe they're going too quickly. It seems like they're acquiring a lot of companies really fast. Yeah, it tends to give me some pause, but uh, I guess move on. More or less interested, Ian. I'm definitely more interested, but I think between the valuation being like the valuation isn't a screaming buy to me right now. It's um, it's not like a. It's not crazy high either, but it's not something that I'm looking at and going, oh, I have to get in this right away. Um, and then I think, though, like just as we've talked about, I like the business. I like the model. I like Lars. Um, and it, it's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on because it's something I I think I was thinking about this as we were talking. And I think one of the things that is so interesting in the, the film space right now and movie and streaming space is just the reliance on IP. And as everybody tries to come out with these new services, it's all about the IP and the ones that have good shows and content do well and the ones that don't, don't. And that was something that Netflix really identified early on. And it seems, I don't want to compare Embracer to Netflix, but it seems like Embracer is kind of seeing into the future a little bit and going, okay, we need to acquire as much IP as we can right now because eventually there's going to be better ways to monetize this and it's going to become more and more valuable as we move forward. And so that forward-looking vision, I think, is interesting. And I think that there is a chance for them to acquire a lot of these independent studios that have some great IP that they'll be able to monetize better. So I'm, I'm more interested, but, um, but a couple little concerns. Yeah, Ryan? Uh, I, hmm. More interested, I guess. Um, the valuation... I, I don't think it's that attractive. I mean, if you just looked at the quarterly numbers and you're like, yeah, revenue's up, whatever, 50 to oh, yeah. 100%. Look at the operating cash flow. It doesn't, uh, that's not a perfect, that's not super indicative of the actual 
underlying growth of the business because there's timing issues related to it. Uh, when I first looked at this, I thought like, great, this is like the match group of these small games, but there are competitors that are doing yes. that are sort of it's not using this exact model. Um, and if you think the valuation is perfect and you're saying, what the hell are you talking about? I don't think they would have raised a billion dollars um, if they thought their shares were undervalued, right? So, yeah. uh, but they are sort of using that to their advantage. I don't know. I like Lars. Um, yeah, he seems like an outsider. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that book, but he seems like what an outsider, you know? I don't think it's his company probably. too. Yeah. Like it's, it, his. it's his company. And you can, they, they do like two and a half hour earnings presentations. Um, but you can just listen to him talk. Like he understands the business. They have a CFO, but it's really Lars running the company, uh, or at least the parent company. I don't know. I guess I'm on the fence. What about you? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just give one note here for clarification. I wrote this down in my notes. Um, so they had at 27, at the end of 2017, they had 238 million shares outstanding. And then right now they have about 500 million from Coyfin's estimate. Um, and net sales in 2017 were 61 million. Net sales in 2020, 954 million. Don't have the exact growth rates there, but they have grown organically. But again, you have to watch out what that revenue growth is for sure. Um, for more or less interested, I'm more interested. Uh, but like Ian, Valuation and Ryan, you said this too. Valuation, and let's wait for an audit. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, a fourteen-half sales. I mean, the stock has done phenomenally. It's up like two thousand percent in the last three years. I don't know. It just seems overvalued right now. Phenomenal company. I love Lars, but yeah, I might be. Yeah, and we might be undervaluing some of the IP in more uh, in some of their Nordic games. Like they might be super uh, well known over there. Uh, I guess they're just not huge here. Um, but the thing is they're well diversified. They have like over 200, I think brands right now. I don't have the exact number with it, but with that many, it's more of a diversified strategy. I don't know. I'm more interested, but it's just valuation. Let's get an audit going. Um, yeah. It's a no for now. And I'm comfortable saying that. Like, I don't think there's any problem in waiting on this. Like they're obviously taking this to a major index and they're going to get that IFRS reporting. I'd rather wait for that. Yeah, for sure. Um, we could miss out, but and it, or if you were holding a brace group, you've done phenomenally. I mean, there's no reason to sell now. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Ian, any, anything else before we wrap up? Nope. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Mm-hmm. I, oh, oh, you you got next week, Ryan. What do you have? I'm Good excited. RX. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things. A lot of people, uh, confirmation bias. There's some big investors in it that uh, I admire. So. Uh, it helps. Yeah, it could be. That is an interesting big Richard Chu company. Yeah, they uh, they're a disruptor. Um, lots of I guess yeah, it'll be fun one to investigate. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. I will remind you again if you want to check out Seven Investing, use our code CCM to get ten dollars off your first month. As another reminder, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. We, Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Clients in Arch Capital may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all again for listening. We'll see you next week.